me just start this morning with a big thank you, church. What a blessing you were just now. Not only to our Lord and your singing this morning, but man, to one another and to me and, and Brother Trey. That was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful way to lead in this morning to the Word of God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And I know that I had said that we're going to make it to verse 14. I was not able to get there in the study. We will make it to verse 12, though. And so we will go from Luke 8 to 12 this morning. And so we are going to look at the greatest birth announcement the world has ever heard. In our day of social media and iPhones, it is quite common to, to get on social media or see a video of a, a baby announcement or maybe even a wedding announcement, but, but certainly a birth announcement. And it's quite common to see blue or pink dust flying in the video uh, revealing the gender of the child. It is a contagious video because we watch these videos of the of the upcoming birth, the announcement of a birth, a child coming in the world, and what gender it's going to be, and that spreads, that excitement and joy spreads through family and friends and church and community, and we want the whole world to share in the joy of the child that is about to come. And we also want the whole world to probably even help us with some of the things that are about to take place. There's a nursery to get fixed. There's baby clothes to buy. There's all these planning and details that are all going into this, this, you know, into this nine months as we await for this child to enter into the world. But, as we have seen in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' birth has not been like that. Matter of fact, Jesus' birth has flown under the radar. According to John MacArthur, it is unlike any other birth announcement we've ever seen. If it was part of a human plan, conspiracy or anything, it would have been completely different. There would have been celebrations everywhere. Only the, the people, the religious higher-ups would have been invited, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. But what we find here is, is that by God's design, the birth of Christ has been very much quiet and under the radar. But all of that is about to change now. You see, in our passage this morning, God is going to announce to the world the birth of His Son. He's not going to announce it to everyone. He's only going to announce it to a few individuals. But these individuals will then begin to spread the good news that they have heard. Once again, an angel, like we have seen already, will come and declare the birth of a Savior to the people. This time, the glory of God will show up. This time, there will be an angelic choir. This time is going to be really spectacular and as we see this morning i want i've entitled the sermon the great announcement of good news today and what i want to do is i want to examine three elements that we find within this announcement this announcement of the good news of a of a savior i want you to see this morning the audience the messenger and the content i want to look at the audience the messenger and the content of the great announcement of the good news. 
If you would, let's read this morning Luke chapter 2, and we will begin in verse 8. In the region, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For day in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. I want you to notice first this morning the audience of the good news. Before we can really take notice here and talk about these shepherds and, and how they were the first ones to hear the, 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 the news, the gospel, if you will, I, I want you to notice who is not mentioned in the text. I, I want you to notice what is not written there. Stephen Cole said, he says, he says, we do not see, now there were in the same region scribes and Pharisees keeping watch over their scrolls and their religious rituals. There's no mention of a scribe or a Pharisee there. Nor does it say there were in the same region kings, queens, or princes or keeping watch at the palace. Nor do we even see that there were Roman generals or, or Roman leaders watching over a country. You know, one would think that these would be the first people, the first audience of the good news. The people of higher status in life with a higher responsibility that is given to them. Yet, God does not reveal the birth of His Son to them. He does not reveal it to the hires. Instead, He reveals it to those who are on the lower end. The first ones to hear the announcement of the Messiah's birth are the shepherds in the region of Bethlehem, and it seems to be they are working the night shift. Now, a shepherd is a sheep herder whose main task was to protect and to provide for the flock within his care. The, the Greek word for the or phrase there, that keeping watch, that phrase would mean to, you, not only are you just watching over them, but you're watching them, as we would say, watching them like a hawk. You are watching them the way a military guard watches over his captives or over the thing that he's been entrusted to. You are always to have your eyes upon the sheep, lest one escape or a wolf or a thief was to snatch one away. These sheep required seven-day-a-week care. And so therefore, if you were a Jew, this came at such a great cost. Because of such great care, this did not allow you to be a part of the man-made Sabbath regulations that were developed by the Pharisees. And so therefore, the shepherds would have been seen as being ceremonially unclean and even under the judgment of God. They were viewed as being in continual violation of the religious laws. And therefore, they were seen as the lowest among us. They were declared unclean. So what was once a respected responsibility... In the Old Testament, because we see David, we see Moses and others who were also shepherds, has now diminished in the Jewish society. And you can imagine the surprise when people began to realize that it was the shepherds who were the first audience. But this is the beauty of God. God uses those people who 
were seen as the nobodies and the outcasts to be the ones to hear the great announcement. You'll even see it later on at the end, at the resurrection of Christ, God uses the women to be the ones, to be the first ones to discover the tomb was empty. And what we find here is, throughout this Gospel of Luke, and we see it with the shepherds, that there is a theme that will carry us through, that we'll see from beginning to end, and that is, is that God opposes the proud religious elites, and instead, God favors the lowly. His incredible favor is bestowed on those who do not and could not ever merit His salvation. Let me say that again. His favor is bestowed upon those who do not or who, who do not and could not ever merit of their own selves, their own works, the salvation of God. Brothers and sisters, the truth is, is yes, these shepherds were unclean, not because they were shepherds, but because they were sinners like you and me today. The problem wasn't that these shepherds were just unclean and sinners. The problem was, so was everyone else, but they didn't recognize it. They didn't know. And so a shepherd was a picture, or becomes a picture for us, of an audience that is very perfect and suited to hear the good news. For Luke will write later on, for Jesus said in Luke 5, 31, 32, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, it is the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call the sinner. Beloved, God gives an audience to those who need him. God comes to those who are lowly and unclean, and he shares with them the news of great hope for them. Not those who believe they are entitled to him. This, this attitude of entitlement does not sit well with the Lord. And a matter of fact, those who thought they were entitled to God would find no room in the shepherd's field that day. No, dear friend, God comes to those who know they are undeserving. Those who know that they are unworthy of him. God comes to those who are shepherds. Kostenberger says it this way. He says, the message of the shepherds points forward to an accessibility that depends not on one's status, on one's religious or socioeconomic status, not one's position or one's wealth or one's prestige. No, the good news of God comes to those who know that they are unworthy of God. Dear friend, do you feel unworthy today? Are you someone who feels unworthy? Maybe, maybe the day you're one of those individuals that you come into this place and you say, I don't really belong in, in here. I, I, I don't belong in the church with church people singing songs about God because he lives. Do, do you view yourself as maybe unable to meet the standard of God? I, I've, I've often heard people say, I'll, I'll come to church when I get myself right. I'll come to church and I'll, I'll walk the aisle and I'll be baptized and I'll sing and tithe and serve and do all of these things. I just got to get some things straight first because I am unworthy. I am not right with God yet. And when I get right with God, then I will come. Dear friend, do not fret this morning. You are in the right audience if you feel unworthy today. The truth is, is 
matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that many of us need to really carry the attitude and the, and the feeling of unworthiness a whole lot more than we do of the attitude of uh, entitlement or religious, you know, superiority. That has no place in the audience of God. God will give you an audience this morning if you are an individual who comes in here today and you say, I am unworthy this morning to be in the presence of God. You are in the perfect audience. You are the perfect audience for the good news. Maybe this morning you are an individual who has an addiction that you cannot kick. You are someone who has a sin that you cannot, that you have failed miserably to overcome, and it has brought great shame and great hurt to your life, and, and, and you just feel and you, that you are just unclean, and, and there's just something in you and wrong with you. Dear friend, hear me this morning, the gospel is for you. Or, or maybe you're someone this morning who has a past, and that past tends to haunt you, and you feel unclean, and you feel unworthy of God, and you feel that my past is something that, that God can never accept, or the church people can never accept. No one could ever accept me because of my past. Dear friend, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. You have found an audience this morning with God. Amen? Or maybe you're someone this morning that you are presently struggling with at work. Maybe you have workplace issues, or maybe... Maybe you have issues within, within the law, you know, you've committed some kind of crime, and maybe you've got to go before the judge, whatever. Or maybe you're a person who has uh, marital problems this morning, or problems with your children, and you just think to yourself, I'm not a very good citizen, I'm not a very good spouse, I'm not a very good parent. I'm unworthy this morning to be in the presence of God. I'm unworthy to be in the audience with God. Dear friend, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. There is room for you in the shepherd's field this morning. And here's the thing. You can fill in the blank today. I've got this problem, this fill in the blank, that makes me feel as though I I have no room with God, no audience with Him. Fill it in. And what you will find is, from Genesis to Revelation, brothers and sisters, we are taught that it is those who are lowly and unworthy and sinful and recognize that who will find audience with the God of heaven. Dear friend, stop trying to fix yourself. Stop waiting until you've got yourself fixed and thinking then you can come and sit. Oh, come and sit as you are in all of your brokenness and all of your sinfulness and recognize that before the Lord and He will give you an audience today. Is that not a praise that we have a God who gives sinners, who who gives sinners an audience and he hears them and he shares with them the greatest news, the greatest treasure in this world? But I must also propose one other point of application here. Dear Christian, we need more shepherds in the audience. You see, we like to talk about the, the, the non-Christian finding an audience with God, and they, they need to see, those non-Christians need to see their unworthiness. And they can come in here, because, you know, we're a hospital for unworthy people, and all the while we're totally not realizing that we have a little bit of religious superiority about the way we're talking. 
And what happens is, is that, we, is that we've kind of become Pharisees ourselves, church. And we come in and we think that we've got it all right and we're, we, you know, we're right with God because we go to church and we do all of these things. Dear friends, we need more shepherds in the audience of God and less Pharisees. We need some humility within our midst. We need people who wrestle and struggle with their shame and wrestle and struggle with their sin. Because hear me, just as there was no room for Christ in the end, in the end, there is no room in the shepherd's field for Pharisees and zealots and scribes for the Sanhedrin. God did not come to them. God did not invite them. They were not there to behold the great announcement of the good news that day. And in fact, you find through the Gospels that many times the Gospel was, was, was concealed because of their pridefulness and religious superiority. May I remind you, dear friend, that if you are someone today who feels that you have no faults or no sins, that you yourself are clean by your own works. Of Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. But in fact, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And if you believe this morning that you are spiritually better than others, I would plead with you this morning that you need to repent. For God does not give you audience today. I would plead for you this morning to recognize your sin and see the, see, see the, the horrifying results of that. And how also it is a stain against the gospel itself. For it is the gospel that has the power to say, the power to make us right, not ourselves. Oh, beloved, we need more shepherds and not Pharisees in the audience. Would you take time today and in your life and this week to examine yourself of religious conceit and go to the Lord asking that He kill that in you? Go to the Lord and ask Him to make you a shepherd. A shepherd who who understands and sees His lowliness and who watches over the flock at night. Oh, dear friend, we need more shepherds in our midst, not more Pharisees. But I would even point out, secondly, the messenger of the good news. T- take notice here that we have an angel that comes to deliver the good news to these shepherds. Now, like before the angel delivers this message, we've seen it with Zacharias. We saw it with Elizabeth. And if you read over in Matthew chapter 1, we see that it is also Joseph. And, and the word angel in the Greek literally means a messenger. It is one who bears a message or runs an errand. So God has sent this angel forth to, to carry a message, to take care of his errand that he won't seem to take care of. And most of the New Testament uses this, uh, this word to refer to heavenly angels who are supernatural, transcendent beings with great power to, to carry out the task of God. Now, here, here's what I want you to take notice. You see, you already we've seen twice and then if you count joseph three times and now this there's four times that we see an angel who comes and every time he comes he he has to bring say this he says do not be afraid i bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people 
And so he comes and the glory of God is there. And we'll talk more about that hopefully next week about the glory of God that is shining and then the angels singing and all of that. But, but he comes and he tells them, do not be afraid, I bring good news. The phrase, I bring good news, is signified as an announcement, a declaration. This would be the same wording is very much used when Caesar Augustus would send people into towns to bring forth a, an imperial decree such as, hey, Mary you need to get, and, and, and Joseph, you need to go to Bethlehem, that type of thing, right? The decree of going to their hometown, that type of thing. But the wording here, I bring good news, is, is also a very familiar word in the English for us because this is where we get our word preach and our word to evangelize. So you could read this verse in this way. The angel would appear and he says, do not be afraid. I preach to you today, shepherds, good news. Or I preach to you today of a great joy. Or I evangelize you, great joy. What great privilege that is. What great privilege God gave the angel who, who on that dark night to bring a message of joy and good news to preach this to the shepherds. Men who were sinful and under the judgment of God in need of a Savior. But dear friends, this is how it started. This is not how it ends. You see, it starts out with angels bringing the good news. It starts out with angels preaching the news. It starts out with angels evangelizing of great joy. But in the end, it is the shepherds who will take the baton and become the preachers and the evangelists of the news of joy. Look at verse 17. For when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. The angel comes and delivers the message. He evangelizes to them. And then now the shepherds themselves will go and begin to evangelize and tell others. Oh, dear friends, not to mention that on 33 years from now, from the birth of Christ, no more than 33 years, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and right before he ascends, he will say, Luke will quote this for us, write it for us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he will say, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the messenger changes. Beloved, the privilege of declaring the good news of Jesus Christ is passed from the angel to to man, to the shepherd. It is passed to you. If angels... Now, don't miss this this morning. I hope you get this. If angels who know nothing of forgiveness other than spectators, but they've never experienced forgiveness because they've never, these angels have never sinned, and the fallen angels never received forgiveness. So if an angel who knows nothing of forgiveness and redemption can joyfully declare to man good news of great joy... To a frightened humanity, how much more, brothers and sisters, this morning, can we, a people who have experienced forgiveness and experienced joy of salvation, preach and evangelize others the good news of great joy? Dear friends, not only are you an audience, the perfect audience to hear the good news, you are better suited to be the messengers of good news because you 
truly understand what salvation is all about. Because you've experienced sin, you've experienced brokenness, you've experienced being under the judgment of God, and by the good news of Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven and redeemed. Who better than one who knows, who can feel it, who experiences it, to go and share the good news with the rest. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you this morning that you and I need to become messengers of the good news. For it is no longer the job of angels. The messenger, brothers and sisters, is us. We have been given the great commission. We have been given the great commandment to go forth and to tell others of the good news. And so FBC, let's not forget that one of the core values of our church is that we are to be gospel witnesses. You are a gospel witness. And when you join this church, if you are a member of this church, God has given you. And we as a church want to have that expectation of every member. So so this is not about us as a church in general right now. This is about you, sir, you, ma'am. You have a responsibility placed on you by God to be a messenger of the good news. We believe that every member has a responsibility within this church to be witnesses of the saving power of Jesus Christ. We expect every member to seek out others to proclaim the good news of Jesus to, to Jonesboro, to Jackson Parish, to the state, to our country, and to even the furthest parts of this world. But it must start here in our own Jerusalem. You are a messenger of the good news. The greatest announcement that has ever been heard, you received an audience. You got a ticket to come and see and experience the great news of Christ. The problem is, is many of us want to go home and go to bed. No. No. The shepherds left and they saw him. They experienced him. And they went telling everyone else that they could about him. The responsibility to evangelize those around you, brothers and sisters, is your responsibility. Stop waiting on angels to do it for you. Stop waiting on pastors to do it for you. Stop waiting on your Sunday school teachers to do it for you. You may think to yourself, but I am unworthy, I am a sinner. I'm a hypocrite. Who am I to share the good news? Dear friend, who better to relate the message of God's saving grace than you? A sinner. I have often heard it put this way. When it comes to evangelism, I am one beggar leading another beggar to a place that he can find bread. I am one beggar bringing another beggar along to show him where I found the bread of life. You are better suited far more than the angels of heaven to be the evangelists and the messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you yourself have experienced it. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If the angels who have never experienced the saving knowledge of Jesus were so willing to follow the commands of God, what does it say when people who profess to be believers don't evangelize others? If we are unevangelistic, there is a case that can be made 
that maybe we've never truly experienced the saving knowledge of Jesus ourselves. I know that's hard truth for you. But dear friends, you are a messenger. And you say, well, Brother Brian, I'm, I, I'm afraid. I don't know how to share the good news. Listen, dear friend, that is not an excuse this morning. There are people in this very room who can help you with the sharing of the good news. I know men and women in here that are very, very good at it. There are men and women in here, I can promise you right now, they are better than I am at that. They are great at sharing the gospel with other people. And we have done the three circles training. We've went through the three circles method. There are men and women here who can walk you through that. We have those resources. You have no excuse, brothers and sisters. You can learn the gospel and you know people who need the gospel. You just need to get out there and begin to share the gospel. But know this, and this one's also very important. I need you to not miss this because I think sometimes we we think it's going to happen in the reverse way. Notice this. The angels had to go into the shepherd's field. Did you hear what I said there? The the angels had to go into the fields. In other words, the angels had to leave the comfort of heaven and go down into a stinky, nasty, cold, dark field with sinful men to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We think that the sinners are just going to come to church. Dear friends, the sinners were never going to get to heaven to hear the good news of Jesus. Heaven had to come down. And so therefore, we cannot sit here and continue to wait on those out there to come in. We must go out. And we must share the gospel. We must go. We must must go as Jesus told the angel. You must go. And here's the beauty of this. The glory of God surrounded the angel, meaning the presence of God was with the angel. Dear friend, is God not with you? It's the one who gave you the command to go. Does he not finish the command off with what? Lo, I am with you, what? Always. The angels left heaven and came into the fields and God was with them. Dear friend, we must go out into the world, share the gospel and know and have confidence that God is with us. Dear friend, pray for someone. Today, find someone that you know who does not know the gospel of Jesus Christ and begin to pray for them. Learn how to share the gospel. We will help you. Three circles, we can do that. Or other methods, either, whatever is the best for you. But begin sharing the gospel. Go into the fields. Go into the fields, brothers and sisters. Go into the marketplaces. Go into the workplaces. Go into the community and share the gospel. Find them. And then if you need to, bring them into your home and set them at your table. Bring them into the church and pray and look for those opportunities that will arise. I guarantee you they will arise. That you will be able to share the greatest announcement the world has ever known. But thirdly, I want you to see this morning the content of the good news. Because we see the... We, we see the messenger, we see the audience, but don't miss the context. Where he says there in verse 11, he says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is the Messiah, 
the Lord. So I love this. He says a Savior has been born. But what does that mean? Again, Caesar Augustus was considered a Savior of Rome. He successfully brought justice to those who betrayed his uncle Julius Caesar. He defeated Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, and he unified Rome, bringing peace to Rome, you know, peace that they had never known. Is that the good news? Is it another political leader? No. This person is different. This was a different type of Savior, and we see it in his identification. Now, I need you to notice this. I believe that nowhere else in the Gospels do we see this phrase used. We see him say, the Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Three titles that are put together that we find nowhere, nowhere else. I believe nowhere else in the Gospels that we find these three titles. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, all in one place. This is the identification of who this child is. He is the Savior, the Deliverer. He is the one who will deliver people from their sins. The fact that you and I and that the shepherds and all of us are sinful before God. We have broken the law of God. We are spiritually unclean. Christ is a Savior who comes to deliver and to not only just forgive, but to, but to bring us out of the danger of the judgment of God for our sins. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one, the one that was anointed and prophesied long ago who would be the one to do this. He was the chosen Lamb of God who would lay his life down. He is the Lord. He's not just a Savior and a chosen uh, uh, Savior, just the Messiah, the prophet. He's also God. He's not just a man. We have the incarnation here. We have God who becomes man. So he's 100% God and 100% man. He is Savior, Messiah, I am. I am is the Savior who was promised to come and redeem mankind. So this is not just any type of individual. This is not anything the world has ever known. This is Jesus Christ, the only one who can save us. Not only his identity, but his very reason for coming. He would come not to save you from a bad marriage. He would come not to save you from, from, from problems at work or save you from your health issues or your financial issues. He's coming to save you from your sins brother and sister he is coming to redeem you dear friend this is the content of the gospel jesus christ is the content of the gospel everything is centered around him for acts 4 12 says salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved there's nothing but what about, there's nothing. Yeah, but what, there's nothing. I love how Charles Linsky interprets this verse. He says it this way. He said, there is no second, there is no substitute, there is no alternative to Jesus that exists in all of creation. You got Jesus and that's it. And it's more than just it, it's more than enough. A person's salvation hope is found in Christ alone. But the problem is, brothers and sisters, that we have removed Christ from the content of the good news. We have removed Christ from the content of the good news because, it, because we deemed it not effective. We deemed it too offensive. We deemed it too hard for people to excel. And so, we, and so what we did was we removed Christ from the content and we added something else. Personal testimonies. 
Could you imagine the angel coming down and said, hey, shepherds, let me tell you about my life and what happened to me. Or, or, or maybe going to church and religious laws. Hey, hey, shepherds, you need, y- y'all are not doing enough laws. You need to do more laws. Or, or how about this one? Hey, shepherds, you're not good enough. You need to be a good person. Or be a loving person. Y- y'all need to be more loving. If you're more loving than God who is love is in you, I've heard that before. And even nowadays, could you imagine if the angels would have came down and gave us critical race theory? Hey, Jews, you're not the right skin color. Or those Gentiles are not the right skin color. Dear friend, we have taken the gospel and we have ripped Jesus Christ out of the gospel and we filled it with all these other things thinking we would get more people in church thinking we would get more baptisms and all these other stuff. And in the process of doing that, the good news is no longer the good news. Because any news without Jesus Christ cannot save. I ask you this morning, is the content of your discussions that you have with other men and other women in this world, is it discussions about Our only hope is to vote on a new president. Our only hope is to get the right people in office and then all things will be better. Dear friends, if that's your discussions, you're not discussing the good news of Jesus Christ. You're discussing another political leader. Parents, is the the teaching, are you teaching your children that they just need to act right and behave and if they act right and behave, they won't get punished and they'll, and they'll do better in life. If so, you're not teaching them the good news. For the angel did not proclaim a, a news of punishment to my Sunday school teachers in here. On Sunday mornings when you teach, are you teaching just legalism, the do's and don'ts? Don't drink, don't do drugs, don't do this, don't do this, but do this, do this. If you're teaching just the do's and don'ts, if you're teaching just legalism, dear friend, dear Sunday school teacher, hear me, you're not teaching the good news. If you're not teaching them about the person and the work of Jesus Christ, it's not good news, for the angel does not come to declare do's and don'ts. Or maybe, dear church member, the preachers and the evangelists that we listen to and the ones that we like the most, you know, we, we like it when they stand in the pulpit and they tell us, the rapture's coming, you better get right or you're going to get left. It's not the good news. For the angels did not come declaring an end times message. Dear friend, the angels came and they declared Jesus Christ as Savior, Messiah, and Lord and the only hope that these men had to be saved. He declared Jesus as our only hope in this world. And so therefore, it is only the good news, dear friend, when Christ is lifted up as our hope, as our strength, as our wisdom, as our love, as our everything. And I would suggest to you this morning that if you do not know the good news this morning, 
that you do not know the greatest announcement this morning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would come and learn. That you would learn, that you would learn by reading the four gospels. That you would learn by, by finding someone or going to one of the church training things of the three circles. We have resources in our library, Greg Gilbert's book on the gospel that will teach you the gospel. Dear friends, do, we need to recover the gospel. It is the only thing that can help us. It's the only thing that can save sinners and the only thing that can sanctify us and, and sanctify our lives. We need to recover the gospel. I would pray that you would seek God and know and understand that he will show you and enlighten you of the gospel. And dear friend, if you are one of those who has ripped Christ out of the gospel, thinking that somehow if you can do all these other things and get people in the church and that that is their hope and salvation, I would pray that you would put Christ back at the very center and that all of your discussions and all of your teaching moments and all of, your, and all of the times that you, your social media, everything, everything, all of this would, would be centered around the greatest announcement the world has ever known about the greatest individual who has ever been born, Jesus Christ. And if you were under conviction this morning today, I would ask that you would come. Let us help you see and know this Jesus, that you may know the greatest joy the world has ever seen. Dear Christian, we have been entrusted with the gospel. We have been entrusted with the most important message and announcement in the world. Go and deliver the message. Know the message. Be a listener, an audience to the message. Go and then deliver the message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.